the DMLS side of actual parts making is my first metal experience. Um, and, you know, getting into that, I kind of saw the first gap. It's like, okay, you can make these really awesome intricate parts, but they're welded to this bed. So you have to come out and either wire EDM off, wire EDM or cut them off with a chop saw and polish. And, you know, cycle times could be two hours. They could be four days. It's just, you know, it wasn't an economic solution for the parts business that my mind works around. I work around, you know, how do I, how do I make as many parts as my customer needs for an economical price? And the DMLS side just, you know, seven, eight years ago, just didn't make sense to me. It's getting better now, four lasers, six lasers, eight lasers, you're starting to get faster. Um, but still, you know, applying something to a build platform and where you have to cut it off, that's still, I can't wrap my mind around that. So being a, having a background in conventional press and center and metal injection molding, binder jet makes sense to me. Hello there, internet. My name is Adam Fosnott. I'm a mechanical engineer, and I have been working with 3D printers of all shapes and sizes for over seven years. I've worked with machines from under $200 to over $200,000, and I have learned so much in the process. One thing I noticed is that a 3D printer tends to be judged on two extremes, one being a press release where everything is shiny and perfect, and the other being a YouTube review where a lot of times every product gets criticized. Another insight is that there tend to be two worlds in 3D printing, one being the industrial space and the other the hobby space, and those two worlds rarely talk to each other. This podcast breaks down those barriers to have a transparent, no BS conversation about the world of 3D printing and technology. I'm so happy to have you on board. Let's get started. To kick things off, could you introduce yourself to the audience? Yeah. So I'm Chris Alio. I'm the co-founder and vice president of business development for Freeform Technologies in St. Mary's, Pennsylvania. We are a contract manufacturer job shop providing metal additive uh, production uh, using metal binder jet. Okay, awesome. And I'm super excited to dive into everything that you guys do and offer. Um, before we get there, just to help people get to know you a little bit better, could you share something about yourself kind of outside of what you do for work? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Penn State grad, pretty proud of that. Uh, father of two boys, married my high school sweetheart. So that's kind of that's kind of who I am. <laughs> that's awesome. How old are your kids? Uh, almost four and then seven day, uh, nine days. Oh, my gosh. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that's so that's so new. I can't believe you're in the office. Um... Yeah. So new baby, <laughs> new company, new job. There's 24 hours in a day, 23 of them awake. So yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Um, man, such a such a busy time. It's going to be a big year for you. Uh, Absolutely. So I'm uh, I'm excited for you. Um, I'm one of three boys in in okay. my family growing up. So um, all the one of the big things I remember about having a, a household of all boys was um, we tended to to wrestle around a lot um and putting holes in the drywall in our basement um but are you so, are you the middle the oldest or i'm i'm the middle child um, okay so uh, the stereotypical problem child but uh, okay. uh I have my older brother's a year older and then my younger brother is four years younger um right. we all get along pretty well now but uh awesome. <laughs> some things you have to look forward to as a as a father of boys i'm sure yeah <laughs> Um, so how exactly did Freeform get started? I was doing a little bit of digging online. It looks like you're a pretty young company. 
Yeah, so we, uh, I guess we incorporated in September of last year, end of September, um, but we're all local to the area. We've all worked in metalworking, you know, metal forming technologies. Uh, our president, Nate Higgins and myself, we ran a pretty significant metal injection molding company okay. uh, in, in the town local here. Um, but there's a couple of guys locally that were a little bit more senior than us that were ready to start a business. Uh, they had either worked in additive or were very interested in additive. Uh, and they approached us and said, do you guys want to start your, you know, start your own company? Uh, and that was something we, you know, Nate and I are lifelong friends, something we've always discussed doing together. And we said, yeah, it's the, it's the height of COVID unemployment's 10%. Let's quit our jobs and, and start our own company. So it's kind of a weird time to start a business, but reflecting back on it, um, it was kind of the perfect time to start a business. Uh, the world was kind of at a standstill. Nobody mm -hmm. was really doing a whole lot. I mean, you know, people were reacting to the pandemic and, and, and trying to solve that problem. But from a business perspective, things were kind of at a standstill. We were in the metal injection molding space, and there's a lot of upfront costs with that as far as tooling and, you know, lead times. Um, people were really cash conscious during the pandemic. So metal additive really picked up during that time. And it was kind of the perfect time to start a metal additive business. People were you know, afraid to spend money on tooling that they didn't know if projects were going to go anywhere, but metal additives, you know, metal binder jet parts, uh, kind of filled that void for them. Okay. That's really cool. Um, I had been doing a bunch of reading, especially early in the pandemic where, um, tons of businesses, like even ones that normal everyday people would recognize started during the financial crisis in 2008 and the real estate yeah. crisis. Um, I think it's, there's, there's something really interesting about um, large economic impact events that really drive people to, to start businesses. So your background was in metal injection molding, it sounds like. How did you first start uh, getting acquainted with 3D printing? Yeah, so, you know, St. Mary's, Pennsylvania is kind of the powdered metal capital of the world. Uh, so I grew up around it, you know, had family that worked in powdered metal. So right out of college, I kind of jumped into the conventional press and center world. Okay. Um, and then, you know, the company that I worked for before was trying to start a Greenfield MIM company uh, back in like 2014, 2015. Um, and working in that, I got recruited by a, a large, a larger MIM company that also did DMLS and, you know, powder okay. bed fusion. That was kind of my first exposure to the metal additive side. Plastic additive, you know, we were always using for like, you know, end of arm tooling, fixtures, jigs, put a part in your hands to see, you know, how are you going to process it throughout your facility? Um, that's kind of my first exposure, but the DMLS side of actual parts making is my first metal experience. Um, and, you know, getting into that, I that's kind of saw the first gap. It's like, okay, you can make these really awesome intricate parts, but they're welded to this bed. So you have to come out and either wire EDM off wire EDM or cut them off with a chop saw and polish. And, you know, cycle times could be two hours. They could be four days. It's just, you know, it wasn't an economic solution for the parts business that my mind works around. I work around, you know, how do I, how do I make as many parts as my customer needs for an economical price? And the DMLS side just, you know, seven, eight years ago, just didn't make sense to me. It's getting better now, four lasers, six lasers, eight lasers, you're starting to get faster. Um, but still, you know, applying something to a build platform and where you have to cut it off, that's still, I can't wrap my mind around that. So being a, having a background in conventional press and center and metal injection molding, binder jet makes sense to me. Okay. That's, that's really cool hearing 
kind of your progression through that. Um, I visited St. Mary's a couple times and oh, really? um, yeah. And it's crazy to me how much industry there is uh, even pretty far away from like Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, some of the bigger Pennsylvania cities that, that I think of. Um, but at least earlier uh, in my career, I didn't realize that metal could come in a powder, um, let alone comes in so many different grades and different materials and can be processed in different ways. Um, DMLS welds parts to the build tray, like you've said, um, and metal binder jetting makes sense. How does the, the start to finish process change from a conventional press and center to a DMLS to a metal powder binder jet? And this is kind of a loaded question, so we can take it one at a time here. What does yeah. the process look like with a traditional press and center operation? Hey there, it's Adam. Could you do me a favor? If you are enjoying this podcast, could you rate it five stars wherever you happen to be listening? It's totally free of charge, and through the magic of internet algorithms, it will help more people hear the podcast. Thanks. So traditional press and center, you're buying, you know, you're buying, uh, buying powder. You're buying it usually pre-alloyed, or you can mix it yourself. Most companies buy it pre-alloyed because it's the more cost competitive. Okay. Um, 120, 120 micron powder, say. Um, and then you put it into a die and you compact it top and bottom. So it's uniaxial compression. So you're, you know, you're forming realistically two dimensional products, um, but you're forming them fast. I mean, a, a conventional press will press, you know, 600 to 1200 parts an hour, depending on complexity. Okay. Um, so it's a very fast process. You can move those parts right to centering, um, right from the press. So there's no debinding. Um, some of the stainless products you de-lube to get rid of some of the higher lubricants for the lubricity of the tooling. Okay. Um, but it's a very fast process, but it's, you know, you can only press so many shapes. Okay. Um, that's kind of, that's kind of the downfall. Powder's, powder's pretty inexpensive. So you can make really cheap parts. Mm -hmm. Tooling, tooling is expensive. Um, and you really have to get some volume to kind of economically make, you know, cheap products. Okay. Would it make sense that you run into that that same tooling versus raw material cost challenge that you see with plastic injection molding? Yeah, it's kind of the same kind of the same cost. You're weighing those same cost benefits or cost impacts, whether, whichever way you want to look at it. Um, it's how long can you wait to get your product to market while you wait on tooling, and how much tooling investment can you stomach to get your product to market? And that's really what we were always up against in previous life. Is okay, this tool is $30,000. And yep, that seems good. We can, we can afford that, but you'll see your parts in 12 to 16 to 20 weeks. Okay. And that's kind of, you know, now I'm, you know, on the metal side, uh, metal additive side, your part is maybe marginally more expensive, but I can get you parts in five days. Do you want to okay. go to market in five days or five months? Everybody's saying five days. Yeah, no, that's a massive difference. Yeah. Um, if I want to press and center a part, what types of constraints do I have to work around or what's, what's an ideal press and center part? I'm imagining just like a, a washer, which seems no, like a really dumb, much more complex than that. Um, a lot of high, high volume uh, automotive applications. Uh, I think the last numbers is there's like 50 to 60 pounds of powdered metal in every car that's on the road. Okay. So transmissions, exhaust, uh, timing belts, all your VVT, VCT stuff. 
for variable valve timing. That's all powdered metal. A lot of it's produced here locally in the St. Mary's area. Um, there's still a lot of lawn and garden components that are powdered metal. Okay. Um, that's a big industry. Um, but you're kind of constrained to that unial axle uh, compaction and then added machining. Gotcha. Okay. Typically when I see a part that has like a, a, a grainy type outer surface finish, my brain immediately goes to casting. Um, but to your point, there's probably a lot of relatively simple components that are uh, powdered metal. Um, so taking one step forward from the press and center, how does, how does the process change with a DMLS machine? Since that's really the, mach the type of machine that most people in metal 3D printing think of. That's where most people's minds go to is, is the, the laser system. Yeah. So laser systems are, are, are you know, really high end. You're, you're layering a, pow a layer of powder, you're welding that powder to the build bed to start, and then you're layering those, those powder layers together, which each pass of the wiper and the laser. Um, so you have to have some way for that powder to get out after it's all, all lasered together. Um, you have some size constraints. Now those machines have gotten much larger over the last five years. So those size constraints are a little less limited. Um, if you look at like what GE is doing, they're making some really, really big, you know, engine components and rocket components. But it's in my experience, in my opinion, it's higher end materials, bigger parts, more expensive parts. Um, I don't know anybody that's making, you know, hundreds of thousands of DMLS parts of the same part. They might be doing that for different parts throughout the year, but for like recurring business, um, kind of competing with your investment casting or die casting or MIM, uh, DMLS, in my opinion, is just not the, not the route to go. Okay. Interesting. Um, you said high-end materials. Um, in, in simple terms, how would you define a simple material, a mid-range material, and like a high-end material when it comes to powdered metal? So high-end materials, I think like inconels, half alloys, titaniums, um, cobalt chrome, that kind of thing, those kinds of things. Um, kind of your bread and butter materials for any of the metal processes are going to be 17.4 and 316 stainless steel. Okay. They're, produced, they're produced at the highest volume, so they're, they're the most cost, uh, cost, most cost efficient. Okay. Um, Tool steels kind of would be in that mid-range as far as a cost perspective and ease of, you know, ease of manufacturing. Mm -hmm. um, that's, you know, and then aluminum is probably the most inexpensive. Okay, cool. Um, when it comes to kind of those various tiers, um, are there different design considerations or centering considerations between those? Um, I'm thinking that aluminum being uh, relatively cheap, but also being um, very thermally conductive might pose some challenges. Yeah, there's a very small window for centering aluminum. Um, there's a lot of press and center aluminum. Okay. Uh, des desktop metal and X1 have both rolled out, uh, you know, releases that they're, you know, have some diligence around binder jet for aluminum. Um, we haven't processed any aluminum here at Freeform yet. It's something we're keeping in the back of our minds because there seems to be a lot of sexiness around it. Um, but aluminum die casting and aluminum machining, those are pretty cheap processes. So okay. how do we compete on that level is going to be, it's going to be interesting to see when more of that, you know, 
that due diligence is, is released and how we can process material, that material cost effective. Um, on the DMLS side, there is no post centering process. You're, you know, you're centering or welding in the process. So you don't have any of those same considerations for that process. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I, sometimes I forget about die casting um, when it comes to aluminum, because you can get some incredibly complex shapes yeah. relatively simply um, and quickly. Um, so thank you for bringing that up. Sometimes I forget about that one as a, as an option. Um, so we've covered traditional press and center DMLS, which has those uh, limitations that you, you mentioned in terms of part size and part volumes. That's really practical. Um, how does that change when you look at binder jet metal printing? So binder jet, in my opinion, is you're getting the, it's the fastest printers in the market. I mean, I think there's, you know, I think desktop has some, some diligence. They say that, you know, it's 10 times the speed of DMLS. Okay. Um, but speed isn't always quality, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, just because you're going fast doesn't mean you're making the best parts. Uh, surface finish is kind of the holdback for all of the metal additive processes, in, in my opinion. Um, part size, we're kind of limited to what we can center. Okay. Centering big parts is a challenge. Um, okay. You know, the parts are round numbers, 20% bigger as printed than they are centered. Gotcha. So the bigger you get, the more that shrinks, you know, it kind of compounds. So we're really working in, you know, size of a business card by one inch tall is kind of our sweet spot for parts, maybe a okay. little bigger than that, but really we're working in more kind of the MIM part range. Okay. Um, sub hundred grams, sub 200 grams, that type of part. Um, the printers that we have now, uh, and we have, we have three printers. So we have a shop system from DM. We have the P1 from DM, and then we have an InEvent Plus from X1. Okay. Uh, both the P1 and the InEvent Plus have about a one liter build volume. So we're kind of limited on part size, shop system from DM, eight liter build size, up to 12 liters. So we can print bigger parts, um, but kind of our business model at Freeform is bigger parts aren't better, more parts in that build bed is better. That's where you get your cost efficiency. Gotcha. So the, the ideal case scenario is roughly business card, post-it notes, size, X and Y, um, yep. sized parts, um, higher volumes of them. Um, how long does it take to go from a CAD file to holding a metal part in your hand? On the, on the volume side, the nice thing about this printing process um, is that the printer doesn't care whether it's printing one part or 1,000 parts. So it's extremely okay. flexible. I could print 100 parts of 100 different SKUs in that printer, and it wouldn't know the difference. So we're not really limited by volume um, in the kind of conventional setup standpoint, like you mm -hmm. would be with uh, MIM or powder metal or investment casting, uh, all software driven. So as fast as our applications guys can get it into the software, the printer will start printing. Um, from the time we receive an order to the time we can start printing, you know, depending on backlog and current orders, but we can turn parts around in, in the printed state in a day. Okay. The, the P1 system will turn over a build box in about 57 minutes. And I say it that exact because it's that incredible. Okay. Um, it's, I mean, that's, and that's build box in, print a full build box, build box out, load another build box, 57 minutes. Do you want to be a guest on this podcast? 
If so, go to 3dprintauthority.com slash forms to apply. Thanks. So wow. we're, we're, turning over, <laughs> we're turning over a lot of parts uh, very quickly. So the prices are being, you know, we're starting to get more competitive with those traditional technologies. Now, I will be the first person to tell you upfront, honestly, and no BS, kind of like, you, you know, this is all about <laughs> just because we're doing it as fast doesn't mean we're as cheap. Um, okay. The, the material is expensive. Centering is expensive. There is post-processing to get to the surface finish that our customers want. Um, we are, I look at the technology as a complement, not as a competing technology just yet. We're getting okay. close, um, but we're here to complement those other technologies for now. If I can support a MIM company or an investment cast company that their customers need to get to market faster while tooling is built, we will do that. If my customers can't afford tooling or don't want to spend money on tooling, we can support their production volumes. Um, but we're very much a complementary technology than we are a competing. That's so good to hear from you because I think that um, I think that eventually 3D printing will be a far more attractive option for mass manufacturing compared to traditional methods. Yeah. But to your point, I don't think we're there yet. No. There is a place for it for businesses to choose it, but it's not kind of the default option. Um, yeah, so I'm I mean, happy would, we're on the same page with that. <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't go like door to door closing machine shops or anything. I mean, those, those companies are still very much needed. There's mm -hmm. tolerances that we still can't hit. There's surface finishes that we can't hit. There's volumes that we can't achieve yet. So um, I don't know if we're five minutes or five years from there, but uh, you know, it's coming and that's why we started this business. Yeah, no, that's, that's really cool. When it comes to um, side note, I feel like when sometimes when we talk about 3D printing or automation, a lot of the traditional machine shops start to be like, oh no, the robots are taking our jobs. But it's like, there, there is a future here where people have jobs, we just work differently. Yeah. And I think it's far more positive than it is negative. When I look at, you know, the scope of the world and products and such. Yeah, I mean, machinists, that's, that's, a, that's a skill. That's yeah. not a job. I mean, that's a skill. And we, I mean, we definitely need those jobs. Uh, we definitely need those services to support our business and this technology. Yeah. So tell me about kind of what you guys offer and what you don't offer in terms of services. And the thing that's really sticking out to me is you've mentioned post-processing a couple times. So typically what post-processing are you looking to do to your parts after they're printed? And do you do that internally or externally? Yeah, so internal post-processing, we do a lot of centrifugal disc polishing. Okay. Uh, so high-frequency high tumbling. Um, get rid of some of those layer lines, you know, smooth out the parts. You get rid of the high spots because from a dimensional accuracy part, we can hit some really tight tolerances, but you get one layer that's offset a little bit and it eats up your whole tolerance. Oh, so right. <laughs> if, we can, if we can run through a, a quick tumbling operation in one of those centrifugal disc machines, we, we do that internally. Uh, we also heat treat internally, uh, okay. precipitate harden internally. Um, but the nice thing about being in St. Mary's is all of our suppliers are here. I mean, our heat treaters are here for quench and temper. Our coders are here for black oxide, manganese phosphate, um, zinc, nickel. We have a ton of suppliers in this area. There's a dozen machine shops here that support our business as well from 
you know, cleaning up tolerances or, you know, machining some features that maybe we just can't process. Um, so we're set up in kind of, you know, the ideal location. When we started this business, uh, we looked at a bunch of different areas. Uh, we're all from here, but we're not, you know, we're not afraid of moving away from here. Okay. So the one thing that's really, was really attractive was neighborhood 91 down in Pittsburgh at the airport. Um, but if you take a step back and you look at our area, all, St. Mary's or Elk County is neighborhood 91. It's just okay. not as sexy. It's not as sexy. <laughs> um, my heat treater is here. My coder is here. My vent, my material supplier is warehouse material here. Uh, and the nice thing about being here is, you know, I know those people. I can text that person. I can call that person. They respond. They, you know, they know who I am. Our kids play sports together, whatever. It's, you know, this is, we'll call it, you know, this is the first neighborhood 91. It's, it's all set up here. Yeah. That's one thing I've, I've grown to really love is driving through like an industrial area of a city. Wow. I feel so nerdy saying this right now, but <laughs> driving through like an industrial area of a city and being like, Oh, there's a sheet metal shop. There's a stamping company. There's a, a this and a that. And they're, they're always so unassuming, but sometimes you walk in the door and they're just doing incredible things, building parts for helicopters and fighter jets. It's so, so cool to me. Try, um, try being a, try being a sales guy and going on a road trip with your wife and say, Hey, look that company up. Tell me what they do. Write that down. But <laughs> <laughs> that's on the same way. I got to know what every, when I open every door, I got to know what's going on in there. Yeah. I, I see some of our road trips differently now. Um, so I grew up uh, in the Cleveland area. So now when we're, we're okay. driving through, I'm like looking at all the buildings differently and like quietly geeking out a little bit about like all the cool stuff they must be doing. Yeah. Cleveland's a great city. <laughs> yeah. Um, they've got a lot of that old manufacturing atmosphere that Pittsburgh does. And I'm sure St. Yep. Mary's does as well. Um, to get a little bit more back on track here. Um, where do your customers come from? And do you see most of the interest for what you offer coming from the industrial space or at-home inventors, hobbyists, some of that demographic? I would, I would say being, you know, being eight, nine months into this now, our customers are mostly coming from the industrial space. Okay. Uh, we haven't had enough time to do some of the smaller trade shows like we would like to do where we can bump into those inventors. Um, or those, you know, those theorists that are out there that have, you know, they want to make one or five. Uh, most of our customers to date, um, I think they're just searching for a new option. Okay. Uh, they're either, their volumes are either coming down on a different technology and they're paying big lot charges to get their tooling set back up. Um, they know that we're using a powdered metal type process. So it's, you know, it's validated. The only thing we're missing is like a standard to validate it around. Okay. Uh, but that's where most of our customers are coming from. I think they're kind of, you know, I don't want to say displeased with their current supply chain, but I think the pandemic had made people think differently about their supply chain. Definitely. I, I looked at a bunch of industry reports recently and some of them were, were just surveys essentially. Um, and the audience varied quite a bit. But some of the other ones were entirely focused on supply chain and how 3D printing is changing supply chains based on, you know, the global situation right now. So it makes total sense to me that people are kind of cross-examining their supply chain and looking for, for alternatives. Yeah. 
Um, when you're talking to different customers, what types of materials, A, are they asking for? And the second part is what, what do you offer as like the, the full scope? Hey there, real quick. If you are enjoying this episode, could you do me a favor and subscribe wherever you might be watching or listening? It's totally free. It helps you not miss new episodes when they come out every single week. It tells the internet algorithms to help our content reach more people. And it would really make my day. I hope you think about it. Thanks. Okay. So most materials that they're asking for is, I think, I think people compare metal binder jet and metal injection molding the closest. Okay. Because I think, I think, you know, the marketing materials are out there. It makes those two sound like they're the biggest competition or, or complement to each other. So most people are asking for 174316, 4140, 4340. Those okay. are kind of the biggest materials that uh, that we see. The materials that we're offering today are 174316 and S7 tool steel. Okay. Um, that's kind of our that's what our machines are set up for. That's what we have the most parameters for. That's what our most volume is in. Uh, upcoming. Uh, you know, we have a list of 15 different materials we're going to release this year. Um, some more iron materials around that 4140, 4340, 4605 is a big MIM material. So that's something we're focusing on as well. Um, Inconel is, is picking up some pace with what people are requesting from, a, from BinderJet. Those parts tend to get a little bit bigger. So, you know, working with those customers to see if they have anything in that material a little bit smaller as we ramp up our equipment size. Engineers love to ask for titanium. Uh, buyers do not like to pay for titanium. It's just, gotcha. it's, a, it's, like, it's a whole different stratosphere uh, as far as processing. Okay. But yeah, kind of your most cost-effective materials are gonna be 17.4 and 3.16. And like I said earlier, they're, you know, they're atomized at the largest quantities at the material suppliers. So we get the best price on those materials. Do you have a question about 3D printing? If so, I would love to answer it. Feel free to leave any questions in the comments down below or go to 3dprintauthority.com slash forms to submit your question. Thanks. Gotcha. And when you're kind of talking people through their applications and the materials and the part sizes, do you find people coming from some industries more than others? Like, is it super heavy in medical devices or is it super heavy in automotive? Is anything kind of standing out to you? I would say... Medical is a big portion of our business and a big focus of our business. Okay. Uh, they're very, very creative. They're getting a lot of new products to market. And the nice, uh, you know, the interesting with medical is I, you know, I would bet that one out of every hundred medical devices make it, makes it to market. So there's a okay. lot, there's a lot of prototyping that goes on. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of development that goes on. So there's a lot of recurring business that goes on there. Um, the, the consumer market, uh, consumer outdoors, consumer firearms, that type of thing, we see, a, we see a lot of interest there because those companies use MIM and investment casting at probably the highest frequency. Uh, so they're interested in metal binder jet and how it competes with MIM or how it complements MIM, how they can get to market faster while with metal binder jet while MIM tooling or investment cast tooling is being built. Um, okay. So we see a lot of interest there. Uh, industrial is picking up. I think the power tool companies are interested, uh, you know, like fluid dynamics, airflow, those types of things. However, mm -hmm. they can create, you know, internal geometries that's, that's picking up as well. Uh, we don't really mess around the automotive space. We're, you know, we're an eight month old company. We're not, we're not there yet. <laughs> uh, I think the technology is very inter interesting to them. Like you said earlier, Ford has a nice partnership with desktop metal. 
So there's definitely things happening there. Just mm -hmm. not for free, just not for free form at this time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, you mentioned uh, firearms and consumer outdoors products. And my first thought is like, that makes so much sense. And power tools also, they've got lots of like fairly complicated internal components that would absolutely make sense for yep. uh, a 3D printed powdered metal version. Um, I want to pivot a little bit, I think, from kind of what your customers are asking for um, to the equipment that you're running. Um, cause you've got a handful of machines. What made you decide on those specific machines when you look at kind of everything that's offered in, uh, powder bed, I, metal powder bed binder jetting. That is such a just, long yeah. metal binder, <laughs> just metal binder jet, metal yeah. binder jet. That's such a long phrase anyway. Yeah. So I think, you know, we, our opinion would be that X1 and desktop metal are leading the charge in metal binder jets. Uh, X1 has the longest history. Mm -hmm. uh, they, you know, they have several different pieces of equipment that you can purchase. Uh, they probably have the most materials on the market that you can, you know, they have the most process parameters around. Um, great surface finish, great part quality. Desktop metal is this, you know, four, five, six billion dollar beast that's out there. Uh, you know, they're, they're running with their, their equipment, the shop, the P1, the P50, the studio, uh, they are really, really pushing. And I actually think those two companies are really good for each other. Cause it's, it's really pushed, really pushed ahead. Um, HP, GE, uh, they have, they, you know, they have good equipment, just doesn't really fit our niche right now. Uh, okay. GE, you know, GE, from my understanding is focused on bigger parts and bigger partner industries. You know, they have Cummins, they have Wobtech, those kinds of things. Um, it's. Desktop metal, I think, has the best speed. Uh, X1, I think, has the best surface quality. Uh, and those are, are what our customers want. So we bought both. We bought systems from both companies. Gotcha. Um, I do like that you guys have diversified in that way and kind of done your homework from what it sounds like and kind of what each person offers. Yeah, and if somebody if somebody from GE or HP watches this and they, <laughs> they, you know, they want to sell us equipment, I'd be glad to learn more about what they, they got going on because... Uh, we want to have the answer for our customers. If, you know, the equipment we have now isn't the answer, I think it is. Uh, mm -hmm. But if it's not, uh, we want to know what else is out there. Yeah. And probably want to know as soon as possible. Um. <laughs> there, yeah. And there's probably, there's probably some, there's probably some people smarter than me in a garage right now making the best piece of equipment that I don't know about. So um, I don't know if you come across them. Um, digital metal. Yeah. Awesome equipment. Um, okay <laughs> but but speed speed that's that's kind of the thing it's you know their speed is very similar to x1 okay uh, and x1 is right in our backyard they're like an hour and 40 minutes yeah. away their service guys are here all the time helping us out you know they're you know they're they take care of us they're they're a great company we work really well with them and they're they're right here uh digital metals in sweden right right <laughs> i guess so but awesome equipment. Uh, I know there's another company in the States that's running their equipment and, okay. you know, we, we run into them at some trade shows and stuff. The parts that digital metal is making are, are awesome. Okay. No, I appreciate your take on it as someone who runs the equipment every day and looks at parts every day. I think that's so valuable. Um, just when I look at all the different people offering it, it seems like no one's talking about them. Um, yeah. I don't know why, I don't know why that is. I mean, I know, you know, we talk to them before we purchase equipment. Mm -hmm. uh, 
it just was the speed thing and the speed and, and service. Yeah. Um, they're getting a better North American presence, which is, uh, which is great long-term. I, it's not out of the question that we'd have a piece of their equipment here. Um, but you know, desktop metal is, you know, really, really good to us. Uh, we work really, really great with their technical team. Uh, we know their people very well. They know us kind of inside and out and X1, same thing. Their people are great. They're, they're really good to us. They're right in our backyard. I mean, those are the two companies. It was a, a pretty easy decision for us to pick those two pieces of equipment. Good, good. I'm happy to hear that you've had good experiences with two American metal printing companies so far. I think yeah. it's, I think it's awesome. Um, when you were trying to start the business, what made you choose manufacturing as a service compared to, I guess, uh, trying to develop your own equipment or Yeah, I'm going to leave it there. What made you choose that that business model over think, over any other possibility in metal printing? Yeah, and if you look at our four co-founders, our our history is in parts making. Okay. So that, you know, jumping into that and buying good equipment, having good relationships and, you know, having technical people here on our team that want to push the technology, that's that's our business model. We want to, you know, rise the tide of metal binders yet. That's what our president Nate says all the time. It's, you know, I think if you look at like the last Ampower report, you know, there's 10 binder jet companies in the world. Gotcha. There, there should be a hundred and we yeah. want to help. We want to help people adopt the technology. If we make a thousand parts and then you buy your own piece of equipment, we make one part and you buy your own piece of equipment. That's a win for the technology. And that's what we want people to do. Gotcha. That's a, that's a really cool take on it. I think. Um, you're, you're, I think you're kind of taking the strategy of becoming a power user of uh, a very promising technology very early. Yeah, uh, I mean, if, if you look at the other technologies that we've talked about, powder metal, investment casting, MIM, die casting, there's thousands of suppliers. Yes. Why yes, is there, there only 10? <laughs> why is there only 10 binders at companies? I mean, there, I hope that next year there's 20 and the year after that there's a hundred. I, it's the technology is here. I mean, that's, that's the tagline on our website. The yeah. Technology is here. I mean, it's, it's not going away. It's here. We're making thousands of parts per month for customers. Yeah. People are adopting it. You're probably going to pick something up in the, in the hardware store or, you know, at the, at the electronics store, it's going to have metal binder jet parts on it. You might not know, and you might think it's junk or whatever, but <laughs> it's here. You're, you're buying it, whether you know it or not, man. So cool. I know we're, we're coming up on, on our time here. So I like to wrap up with some higher level questions. Okay. Um, one that I always like to ask is outside of uh, what you're doing at Freeform, what's one thing that you're excited about in the, the broad world of 3D printing? So this could be a trend that you're seeing, a specific technology that you think is really cool, or just something that you want to see more of. I think it's probably twofold for me. I think it's the new piece of equipment that desktop metal and X1 are rolling out. Okay. Uh, we're very excited about desktops P50. Uh, and when we can get our hands on one of those, we're very excited about, you know, X1's release of the three liter, five liter machine. That's okay. That's exciting for us because we think, you know, our, our vision is that more equipment dedicated to separate materials probably yields the best parts long-term. So gotcha. Having something in that five liter range makes sense to us. Uh, and then I'm really excited about the adoption curve. Uh, like I said, people are getting more comfortable with the technology. People are buying more parts. Uh, 
the adoption is happening the way that Freeform wants it to happen. Uh, we don't envision ourselves being the only, you know, you know, one of 10 suppliers long-term. We want there to be a bigger market. Uh, mm-hmm. We want to help, we want to help create that. Gotcha. Um, how do you think you can get more people to adopt 3D printing more quickly? I think when people understand the total cost of ownership portion of it, they'll mm-hmm. start to adopt it. Uh, people okay. are very, you know, I think in bigger companies, purchasing and engineering and R&D work in a bunch of silos. Okay. So like R&D has a budget, engineering has a budget, purchasing has a budget. And R&D doesn't really care what that purchasing person has to pay for tooling long-term as long as they can get parts early. Mm-hmm. Those, you know, if that, if that bell curve kind of starts working together and they realize that, yes, your parts may be marginally more expensive long-term, but I'm saving you 20 weeks to get to market and I'm saving you $50,000 investment because you don't have to spend on that tooling. Everybody looks like a champion. Yeah. Um, so I think that's really what's going to kind of blend that curve. So I think as, as those companies start working together and breaking down those silos, the total cost of ownership piece to metal additives is that's the winner. Uh, such, such a great answer. I love it. Um, Cause you're so right. Every department has their own budget and they think that's what they can spend and they are intimately familiar with their problems, but not the problems of the business as a whole and not the problems of other silos. And I think there are opportunities to your point where 3D printing can uh, solve problems in multiple silos Yeah, that sometimes yeah, don't think, get addressed. I think that's, I think that's, the, that's the winner. The, you know, I use that term total cost of ownership probably, I don't know, a thousand times a day. Those, the guys around here are probably tired of me saying it, but that's what we need to get home to buy, you know, to, to purchasing people, engineers, R&D, prototypers, you know, if it's a win for their company to work with this process earlier. Absolutely. Um, I got to figure out where this question should lie in an episode because I feel like sometimes I just like kill all the energy at the end here. Um, but in, in the spirit of a no BS honest conversation, if you look at 3D printing as a whole, what is one thing that you don't like about it? Maybe you think it's too slow. Maybe you wish there were more materials. Maybe you wish people understood overhangs better. Like it could, it could be anything. I, I would say probably surface, but from a metal perspective, I'm yes. not a plastics expert. Okay. Uh, we have a couple of plastics printers here that we use to kind of support our internal internal uses. Um, but from a metal perspective, it's definitely surface finish okay. uh, and, and accuracy, um, whether it's powder bed or metal binder jet or DED. I mean, most of these parts are getting tumbled or grit blasted or polished. Uh, so as surface finishes improve, that will be the, the biggest thing. That's kind of, that's kind of what's holding us back is you pull thousands of parts out of the furnace and then they have to go to another operation before you can ship them. Um, that's kind of the holdback. I think, I think, you know, seven months ago, I would have told you it was material availability. Okay. But the work we've done over, you know, the last six, seven months, uh, there's more materials coming and there's more, you know, really, really good materials coming. Um, it's, it's happening. So I think it took a company like Freeform to help push that to market. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that kind of hands-on feedback and looking at what you would have said seven months ago versus now um, 
is is such a good insight in terms of the 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 practical nature of what a problem is so i really appreciate you sharing that um i didn't expect that type of answer so it's not not all it's not all you know gold you know gold plated jewelry chain you know chain mills you know watch cases um it's just like every other manufacturing technique shit goes wrong i mean yes right no no bs i mean bad things bad things happen when you're printing parts it's you know it's, it's the nature of the beast but i thought 3d printing was magic yeah. Well, sometimes I feel like it is like, <laughs> you know, some, like you, we talked about inventors earlier, like, you know, some, you know, some inventor sends you apart and they want, you know, they want one and you're like, eh, we'll give her, we'll give her a go. <laughs> and it's like, wow, I, it, it makes it, it makes magic. But yeah. no, I mean, it's, it's no different than any other, any other technology. Um, the only difference, the only difference is the upfront cost and the time uh, mm-hmm. bad things can happen. It's not a zero scrap process. It's not a perfect process. I mean, it's just like any like, other process. <laughs> any other process. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, garbage in, garbage out, right? It's, it's what you put in and you, you have to have good material. You have to have good equipment. That's why we partnered with, you know, desktop metal and X one. Uh, we have great material vendors. Um, you know, we have some of the best centering equipment on the market. Uh, I, you, you have, it's, it's not cheap, not cheap to get into. Um, but if you, it's like anything else, you take care of it. It takes care of you. Awesome. Um, before we say goodbye, uh, where can people uh, find you? Where can they learn more about Freeform? And if there are any special calls to action that you'd like people to take, now's, a, now's your chance. Yeah. So our website is www.freeformtech.com. Uh, you can go there to find all of our latest information, learn more about our metal printers, our plastic printers. We have an RFQ form on there that you can fill out or an inquiry uh, newsletter you can sign up for. We love everybody to sign up for it. Uh, trade shows, they're coming back. We'll be at them. I don't know which ones yet, uh, but as we get a little bit freed up here, uh, we'll be doing all the trade shows. Uh, we'd love to see everybody and you know start making parts for you. Whether you want to do benchmark parts, um, production parts, if you want to buy additive equipment, a lot of equipment on the binder jet side, we'll have to talk to you and help you out with it. Uh, we're here for the technology more than anything else. Gotcha. Thank you so much again, Chris, for, for taking the time to chat with me. Uh, best of luck to you and the rest of the team in, uh, in this year and beyond. Thanks, Adam. This was great. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for tuning in to watch or listen to my interview with Chris from Freeform. I think what they're doing with metal binder jet 3D printing is absolutely um, a step in the right direction to take 3D printing from where it's at today, being used for lots of prototypes, jigs and fixtures, and actually take that next step into using 3D printing for production parts at higher and higher volumes. Um, So I think what they're doing is really cool. Make sure to check out their website to uh, request quotes if you need some metal 3D printed parts, um, or just to learn more about what, uh, what they're doing and what they have to offer. If you haven't already, maybe you want to subscribe to this channel. Again, wherever you might be watching or listening, um, subscribing to the channel helps us grow. It helps us spread more transparent, no BS conversations about 3D printing. And I think that's something that uh, helps everyone out. Thank you again for watching. Until next time, happy printing.